runners in scoring position. I am Nate Jones, and with me, as always, is Charlie. We're back. It was kind of a long break. Almost two months we were gone, uh, but we are back now. And how was your break, Charlie? How are you feeling right now? It was now? good. A lot of baseball action to cover, including what happened Tuesday night with the first unanimous Hall of Famer ever with Yankees legend Mariano Rivera. But yeah. I think the big storyline today is obviously going to be the Hall of Fame. Yes. But it's going to be what's going on with Manny Machado, yeah. Bryce Harper, and 100%. maybe a guy you know, Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> Those are yeah. all three signed. But, you know, let's jump right into it. Uh, Nate, we got some good news over the break. Do you yes. want to tell us, tell yeah. the audience what happened? Sure. So those of you who don't know, uh, <clears throat> UCCS Radio is a part of an organization called Intercollegiate Broadcasting System. Uh, they help with F FCA licensure, a whole bunch of different things. Um, and they give us different tools for radio, all that sort of fun stuff. Every year they hold an award ceremony in New York City celebrating all of college radio. They also do high school radio. They also do college TV Everything student media, uh, they're a big part of it. And they have all these categories, uh, hundreds of students, thousands of students. They had over 15,000 students submit entries this year. Um, and we submitted two entries. We didn't get nominated for one. But we did get nominated for best podcast. Uh, so in March, we will be heading out to New York to find out if we won. But the ceremony is March 2nd. Uh, so that'll be exciting. So thank you guys all for listening to us. And mm -hmm. you guys are the reason why we were nominated for best podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. All the support means so much to us, but without further ado, let's jump right into it. So the hall of fame induction ceremony happens, you know, late January every yeah. year. And it's usually this big ceremony. They'll have the chairman, Dave Idelson come into MLB network and they'll talk with Brian Kelly and Bob Costas yep. about everything that's going on. And then they'll have a dramatic unveiling so this year, it was sort of a bittersweet ceremony, I would say. Yeah. Uh, three living Hall of Famers and one recently deceased. Uh, Edgar Martinez, Mariners legend, DH. That's the reason why there's the Edgar Martinez DH award. Yep. Uh, Mike Mussina, and there's been a lot of controversy with him as whether he'll go in as an Oriole or a Yankee. Yep. And this guy's obviously going in as a Yankee, Mariano Rivera. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, uh, late pitcher Roy Halladay, who uh, passed away two years ago in a single-engine plane crash in Florida. So obviously that was an exciting moment for his family, but they wish Roy was still alive to yeah. celebrate that moment. So a little bit of background on how you get elected for the Hall of Fame. Players must be named on 75% of the ballots cast by eligible members of the Baseball Writers of, Baseball Writers of America Association. Yep. Now, I believe there were about 425 writers this year. Okay. And there were only four, and there were 440 last year. So there was a little bit of a drop off in voting. Okay. Uh, that can do to members not being active or not submitting a votes for quite, okay. quite a number of years. Yeah. You can have up to 10 people you can vote for on the ballot, and players spend up to 10 years on the ballot. Yeah. If a player, for example, Fred McGriff, who got 39.8% of the vote, on his last year, they don't get elected within 10 years. They transfer to something called the Players' Era, or the Players' Game yeah. Association, which is more of like the old-time veterans. That was Alan Trammell and Jack Morris. That's how they got elected. Yep. So McGriff still has a chance, and you know, likely with these new crops of Hall of Famers coming in and people who have been on the ballot, that'll be uh, he'll be bumped up to the top and hopefully receive some new votes. Yeah. So the voting breakdown for this year is Roy Halladay got 85.4% of the vote. Edgar nice. Martinez, 85.4% of the vote. Mike Mussina, 
76.7% of the vote, and then Mariano Rivera, 100% of the vote, which is the first time ever in Hall of Fame history that someone has been elected unanimous. The closest was Ken Griffey Jr. Two, three years ago, excuse me, who totaled 437 out of the 440 cast. Nate, I know you're a little biased since you're a Red Sox <laughs> fan, but do you think this was the a good choice for the first unanimous Hall of Famer? I think so. It does, a lot of people are talking about this in all sports Hall of Fames. Um, the system must be a little broken if Mariano Rivera is the first unanimous, because obviously there's been players before him that have been just as exceptional, just as great. They probably should have gotten unanimous, so why didn't they? Um, a lot of people have different reasonings for putting not putting someone on the ballot, but he probably shouldn't have been the one. I think he's an excellent choice, but Ken Griffey Jr. probably should have gotten it. Um, other players before him definitely had the should have had the opportunity as well. Um, but yeah, it's a great coach. Great, <clears throat> great choice for the first unanimous Hall of Famer. Uh, he's an excellent closer. Red Sox, Red Sox did get his number a couple of times, so I'm happy about that. But one of the most dominant closers ever. And another thing to note with the Hall of Fame is that you have to hold within 5% of the vote. So you have to get above 5% to maintain the, on the ballot for next yeah. year. 16 players actually failed to make the cut, so they'll all be cut from their remaining ballots. Oh, wow. I mean, sometimes there's just silly choices. Like, I know Hall of Fame 2020, no offense, but Jorvit Torrealba is on there. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he got kicked out too, but... Yep. So let's let's do a breakdown of each. Yeah. Uh, Nate, do you want to talk about the first guy on the list here? Yeah, sure. So Roy Holiday, 85.4%, as Charlie mentioned earlier. He's the first player to be elected first ballot posthumously since Christy Matheson in 1936. Uh, Holiday, who was killed paddling an aircraft in 2017, only, he was only 40 when he passed away. He won Cy Young Awards in both leagues with the Blue Jays in 2003 and then again with the Philadelphia Phillies in 2010. He was also the runner-up for the award twice in a career that covered 16 seasons. Uh, the right-hander led his league in complete games seven times, uh, strikeout to walk ratio five times, shutouts four times, inning pitch four times, and victories twice. Holiday's 67 complete games are the most in the majors, 13 more than runner-up Randy Johnson. Holiday pitched a perfect game in May, 20, May 29, 2010 against the Miami Marlins. Five months later, he pitched a no-hitter against the Cincinnati Reds in Game 1 of the NL Championship Series. If you guys haven't seen it, MLB posted it. There's an oral history that they did of that game, and it's fascinating to listen to. So if you're a Roy Holiday fan or a baseball fan in general, go check it out. You can find it. Just look up oral history of Roy Holiday's um, no-hitter. And it was one of the only two no-hitters in postseason history. The other was Don Larson's perfect game. For the Yankees against the Brooklyn Dodgers in Game 5 of the 1956 World Series. Uh, Halliday is the sixth player elected by the Baseball Writers Association posthumously. The others were Matheson, who died in 1925 and was honored in the first Hall of Fame class in 1936. Outfielder Willie Killer, who died in 1923 and was elected in 1939. Pitcher Herb Pencock, who died in 1948 and was elected later that year. Outfielder Harry Hellman, who died in 1951 and was elected in 1952. And shortstop Rabbit Marneville, who died in 1954 and was elected later that year. This list does not include first baseman Lou Gehrig, class of 1939, and right fielder Roberto Clemente, class of 
1973, whose inductions were the results of separate elections conducted by Baseball Writers Association. Yeah, it's... I, I remember exactly what I was doing when I found out that Roy Halladay died. I mean, he was yeah. such a big part of, you know, a lot of kids' baseball career. And I remember the exceptional job he did in 2009 when he won the World Series with the Phillies and did all that. And, I mean, that was that was quite the, quite the time, uh, especially when, you know, he pitched those two no-hitters in the perfect game. But I don't really remember what he did with Toronto. Yeah. Um, I saw a story the other day with Toronto that he pitched an 11 ERA. He got demoted to Class A, which never really happens. <laughs> I mean, I remember, of course, with the Twins, Miguel Sano got demoted to Class A. But yeah. That's a different story. <laughs> but he learned in the minor leagues how to cut and how to sink his pitches, and he came up, I would say, a couple months, maybe to a year later, and really – started to develop that and became the dominant pitcher that he was known for and the dominant pitcher that got him into the Hall of Fame. So uh, rest in peace, Roy Halladay, but, you know, a great career, and I'm sure his family is really proud of him. Yeah. We're going to go to our second guy, Edgar Martinez. Now, this was Edgar's 10th and final year on the ballot, and Edgar Martinez last year was really close, I believe, uh, we'll have to check in our stats department about this, but I believe he got somewhere in the high 60s or maybe even the 70s. Yeah, I think it was um, in the 70s. Yeah, but obviously he was a mainstay with the Mariners for a long time, and as I mentioned earlier, that's why the designated hitter award is named after Edgar Martinez. He compiled almost close to 2,300 hits, had about 2,247, 309 home runs, and he is one of nine players in history with 300 home runs, 500 doubles, and a career batting average above 300%. And according to the stats department here, Edgar Martinez fell about 20 votes short in 2018, wow. which was named about 70.4% of the ballots. Wow. And Edgar Martinez and our next Hall of Famer, Mariano Rivera, bring you a total of 54 Hall of Famers who played with only one club, hmm. which is phenomenal to think about. Yeah. Because, you know, with Mucina, he played for the Orioles and the Yankees. And then you have Halliday, who played for the Blue Jays and played for the Phillies. And then, yeah. you know, Rivera, Yankee his entire life. And that's really rare. And it's something that we can talk about. I mean, I can't really name besides Joe Maurer, someone who's played with the Twins or played with the Twins his entire yeah. life. Um, you know, who had a long career, who spent, you know, his time with one team. So, yeah. All right, let's skip around here. And you want to talk about the guy I just mentioned down there? Yeah. Mariano Rivera, 100% first year on ballot. We've mentioned that. Uh, Rivera, 49, spent all 19 of his major league seasons with the Yankees, was a key figure in all five World Series champions. He did allow the Red Sox to come back in 2004, so always be thankful for him for that. I set career records in saves, 652 in games finished, 952. He also shares the mark with fellow Hall of Famer Trevor Hoffman for most seasons with 40 or more saves. Known to teammates and fans as Mo, Riviera holds the all-time postseason records for lowest earned, rep, earned run average, games pitched, and saves in World Series records for games pitched and saves. Riviera was 8-1 over 32 postseason series including seven World Series. He is the second Hall of Famer 
who was born in Panama. The other is infielder Rob Carew, who was elected to who was elected to Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association in 1991. Riviera was the MVP of the 1999 World Series and 2003 American League Championship Series. A 13-time All-Star, Riviera was the MVP of the 2013 game at New York City Field. He only allowed 11 earned runs in 141 postseason innings. 12 men have been on the moon, in case you're wondering. The AL Award for Relievers is named for Riviera, who is the last player to wear uniform number 42, which is tired in perpetuality in honor of Jackie Robinson in 1997. He's a phenomenal player, and a lot of people talk Absolutely. about it. Like His career path is also not normal. He was not touted as this great mm-hmm. reliever, this great pitcher. Okay. No one thought he was going to be the first um, 100% uh, member of the Hall of Fame, uh, but he is, and I think it's a lot of his work ethic and just his pitches. It's phenomenal. He was so hard to hit. 11 runs in the postseason is... In 141 postseason innings, it's very hard to do. Shows why he's the best. Um, one of the best songs he ran out to. Um, overall, just a phenomenal player. Yeah. Um, another thing with Rivera is that the Yankees completely skipped over him when they signed him. They thought, yeah. oh, it's just going to be this kid from Panama. You know, maybe he'll provide some pitching help in the minors, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Yeah. And they said they did not view him as a prospect. And the way Rivera actually discovered his cutter is he was playing catch with either a friend or a relative, and something just happened where his arm slot and the way he gripped the ball threw it, and it became a a cutter, and he said that was an act of God because before that I gripped everything else, and that just suddenly, and it just worked. Wow. Um, Which I just think is incredible. incredible. All right, fourth and final Hall of Famer, and then we'll talk about the two other Hall of Famers that got inducted earlier. Uh, yep. Mike Mussina, six year on the ballot, just a tad below 77% at 76.7. Okay. He had a great career, uh, about a 64% winning percentage based on a 270 and 153 win loss record with a tad below a 3.6 ERA. Um, he was the oldest pitcher to record a 20 victory season at 20 and 9 in 2008 when he was. 39 years of age, and he won 15 or more games 11 times and took seven Gold Gloves awards for fielding. Excuse me, which is very uh, interesting considering that you you know you don't see a lot of repetition in the Gold Glove category for yeah. pitchers besides maybe Zach Greinke. And a side note about Zach Greinke: I was watching a Twins D-backs game and he had a ball probably about two feet over his head and he leapt in the air so high and he just snagged it no big deal (laughs) but um i thought that was pretty cool yeah so now we're heading into the two other hall of famers which was the like the late era committee and one who's been kind of talked about lee smith you know that seems like a decent choice but then there's someone harold baines who has been the contest been contested for a hall of famer a lot of people have been thinking does he really deserve to be in the hall of fame and I kind of, you know, I, I get that, why he, you know, should or should not be in the Hall of Fame. He didn't have a great career, um, you know, played with the athletics, the White Sox. So we'll just go through some of his stats. He had a 289 average, okay? Yeah. No rings. The highest he got in MVP voting was ninth place. 
he only he hit about 2,866 hits, which isn't bad. Yeah. But, you know, considered to some of the other Hall of Famers that have not gotten in and who have better stats than him, it's something to argue, like, did he really, you yeah. know, get in? But I think the big thing with Harold Baines is that he didn't take any PEDs. He was in that era of PED usage where it was very high and, you know, nothing where he really, uh, you know, wasn't linked to anything. So I think that kind of helps. And the Veterans veterans Committee is also going to have something to look at where they'll have to maybe, you know, change their standards. Yeah. Because instead of a 450-person committee, it's a 16-person committee. Oh, and wow. you need 75%. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was crazy. But now we're going to head is. into the Hall of Fame 2020 ballot. And there's another guy Nate probably knows well <laughs> is shortstop Derek Jeter. Um, there's no doubt about he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Probably not unanimous, but I would say first ballot Hall of Famer for I sure. I think he might be. I you think people have fond memories of Jeter, and he is one of those players that a lot of people consider one of the greatest shortstops of all time. And what he did in New York, and I a lot of baseball writers, especially the older ones, really value loyalty. Players who have the option to leave and choose to stay, Jeter being one of those. Um, I think the baseball writers might vote him in unanimously. Yeah. I think it's not as a sure thing as Rivera was, but I think we could see back-to-back 100%ers. Yeah, so my opinion, Jeter, I think is going to be the only first ballot Hall of Famer. The notables that didn't get elected this year that would have a really good shot, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, yeah. Kurt Schilling, and then a little sleeper, 10th year, Larry Walker might have a chance. Okay. He got 55% of the vote. Yeah. Clemens, excuse me, got a little bit under 60%, about 50, 50, 59.5. Okay. And Barry Bonds getting about 59% with Schilling just under 61%. So I think out of those three, Nate, I say Schilling has the best shot of getting in yeah. just because of his you know, incredible pitching performance and how he got voted this year with four surefire Hall of Famers. That is someone who will um, be able to get in. Yeah, I think. Uh, so let's see. What else do we have here? Yeah, we talked. We touched on the week Hall of Fame 2020 bats or ba- ballots. Sorry about that. And we're going to head to break now, and we're going to talk about two notable free agents. Why they're still unsigned, Nate? This is really perplexing to me. <laughs> we're about three weeks out from spring training. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, so we'll touch on that after the break. And meanwhile, if you have any questions. 719-428-6191. Feel free to shoot a text to the Google Voice account and we'll be happy to answer your questions. It could be on what we're looking forward to the most in our trip to New York or you know what we think about the Hall of Fame and if we would change anything. So we'll be right back. Runners in scoring position. And we are back. And that was in honor of Mariano Rivera, those Into the Sandman by Metallica. Uh, yeah, first ballot Hall of Famer with 100%. Uh, great news there. And so now we're talking about free agency in Major League Baseball. How weird it is. And I compare this a lot to you look at other leagues, they don't, it doesn't take this long for their biggest names to no. do something. Um, I don't know if it's because of these big names or just how baseball works. Like basketball, this would never happen. No. Nope. Um, like LeBron James, like he took a while and he took a week to sign uh, this past. Which free would be agency. nothing in Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah. 
so <laughs> we would be happy like with a month. So if you listen to the show, almost two months ago, we were talking about Machado, Harper, Kimbrell. We were talking about all of them, and they're still not signed. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of people thought Machado and Harper would have both signed $200 million deals already. Neither have. And it kind of seems like no one wants... It's a weird thing, but these are both good baseball players. But it sometimes gets the sense that like no one wants them. And so these teams, like the White Sox, and we can talk about this, they're offering big money because they're like, no one really wants this dude. We'll take him. Uh, and that's what it's starting to feel like. And will that happen? So we'll talk about Machado first. What do you think about the seven-year, $175 million offer by the White Sox? Why didn't he sign with the Yankees? Why is no other team really interested in this shortstop? This is just... I don't even know how to describe this because I remember the first couple weeks in December, there were reports that the White Sox offered him an eight-year, $250 million deal. Okay. Which I thought, okay, you know, this is what Machado is looking for. It's not quite $300 million, but, yeah. you know, it's somewhere. Yeah. And then three weeks after that, his agent comes out, and there's a baseball writer named Jeff Passan who's worked, I think, with CBS Sports and worked for the MLB as a beat writer. But okay. They, and he came out and said, you know, Jeff Passan and, you know, the baseball you know, commissioner office, which is in New York, they said, these are just some slanderous reports. These aren't true at all. Please don't try to defame my client with this false information. And then he got a seven-year, $175 million offer. I don't know what... I, I just... Machado should be signed by now. Yeah. There's no questions about that. He should be signed. He should be getting ready for spring with a new team. I don't know what the deal is, what the holdup is. Maybe it's because they aren't backing down on their $300 million offer. Yeah. And here's why teams aren't going to offer that. It's a huge load on their payroll. Oh, yeah. Teams are not going to want to invest that much money in one player because they know all the injury risks and everything that will happen. And the only way that $300 million deal is justified, and you and I both know, Nate, winning a World Series. We talked about this with David Price. David Price's load is lifted completely off his back now. Yep. People do not care that he's making 200 plus million dollars. Yeah. They don't care that he's overpaid. They don't care yep. that he's a bust. He won a World Series. So teams are banking on the fact that Machado would bring a World Series. Uh, it would be the first time in, I think, 25 to 30 years for the White Sox winning a World Series. And so if Machado does that, they will pay the $175 million. Yeah. To be honest, the White Sox are a team I would watch out for in the next three to five years. They have a lot of good young prospects coming up, a lot of players that I wouldn't be surprised if they are in division contention within that time span, too. I I don't know what to say about Machado. Apparently, there's a couple other teams, including my twins, for some reason are a dark horse candidate, and I think Hmm. the main reason is payroll. Yeah. But you and I both know the Twins, and you and I both know my opinions on the Twins, so that won't happen. In fact, I'm going to do something that has never been done before. Nate, I'm going to make an on-air bet to you right oh, now. All right, let's see I it. will give you $10 okay. if Machado or Harper signs with the Twins. Beautiful. Guaranteed. All right. You heard well, it here first. You know, I'm not looking forward to taking your money, but, but you know, it might happen. That's okay. Um, I, I just don't yeah. see it happening because I don't know. 
I don't think the Twins are that attractive of an offer. Yeah. Purely, you know, from other standpoints besides monetary, which the Twins, you know, could offer a lot of money, but they won't because they're the Twins. So, yeah. Um, another guy I talked about, Bryce Harper. Again, I Bryce Harper should be signed. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what he's holding out on. I'm sure teams have already kind of wrapped up their payroll and are stopped signing free agents because a lot of other marquee free agents have already been signed by now. Yep. Joe Kelly to the Dodgers. You know, Yasmani Grandal. You who would have thought Joe Kelly signed before Who, who would have thought <laughs> there would be veterans such as uh, Brad Brock? Yeah. Exactly. Brad Brock, former Orioles pitcher, I think now is just signed a deal with the Cubs. But, you know, guys like that, who are signing before these mega superstars. So I don't know, Nate, where do you think he's going to end up? I included that. I think it's going to be any of these three. I think Phillies, Dodgers, but I wouldn't be surprised if he resigns with the Nationals. I think he's going Dodgers. I think that Puig trade is kind of a sign of things to come there. I don't think those two could be on the same, same team together. So maybe they're making a move there as well. But also, as we're talking about, we couldn't believe people who were signed before. Ichiro Suzuki signed a minor league deal before these guys signed and in he's the major league. 45 team. years old. Folks. So, 45. <laughs> that that's kind of ridiculous that they haven't chosen. I don't know exactly what it is with Harper. To me Harper is a little more like Flame I would buoyant. Yeah, and Harper looks like he plays a little harder. Like yeah. if we're looking at like World Series rings and stuff like that, one thing is neither of these players are playoff proven. Neither no. of them have really had a chance Machado embarrassed himself in the playoffs. Yep. He ended the World Series with a strikeout. He Harper really hasn't had the chance to go to the World Series. So it's those things of like teams want to win a World Series. If we switch this and we put Mookie Betts, who arguably is one of the best players in Major League Baseball, but does not have the same level of stardom. Like I don't think he's a household name like Bryce Harper. Machado probably isn't a household name, but most casual baseball fans know who he is. Most casual baseball fans before this postseason were not like Mookie Betts is the star of the Red Sox. Yeah. If you're not following the Red Sox, you weren't really pinned. If Mookie Betts was in free agency, he signed in a heartbeat because he's proven in the postseason. He's consistent. And I think it's kind of a big thing. If you're playing really well when you're not getting paid a lot, teams will be willing to pay you more. Um, Machado and Harper were getting paid pretty sizable salaries before this. And they couldn't produce for their teams the way in which their teams wanted to. Um, so we'll see where Harper... But I think he's going to the Dodgers. I think it kind of makes sense. It's Hollywood. Um, it seems like the best fit for him. And the Dodgers are still arguably a contender in the National League. It would be kind of nice to have a bat like Harper's in that lineup. But I also think you can make the argument that Harper would go to the Phillies purely based on how much money they'd be willing to offer him. Yeah. And I feel like... But then I would also agree with you because I feel like if it was really about the money, he would be signed by now. Yeah. And if so. it was really about all that, then he'd be signed. But another guy who is all about the money, Craig Kimbrell. <laughs> why isn't he signed? Uh, and I think the reason why he isn't signed, but Nate, you have more right than I do to talk about this. I just don't think the Red Sox are willing to pay what Kimbrell is offering. Yeah. And I don't think that they'll, they'll believe that he will... Uh, repeat what he did last year in the postseason and again and again maybe they need to look for more cheaper and effective option uh that's just me personally i don't yeah. know why he isn't signed but i think he's commanding too much because he's still on that world series high 
Yeah, and I think so too. And I we we talked a little bit like playoffs can make or break players and their value. And I think a lot of Red Sox fans' eyes and maybe some upper management as well is he's not as valuable because he struggled in the World Series and in the playoffs. He struggled closing out games and almost cost him a couple games as well. So the fact that he's asking for so much, and I think at one point he's asking for like seven years too. Uh, I don't think the Red Sox are willing to buy into that. As a Red Sox fan, I was hoping they would sign Joe Kelly and put him in the closer. You know, he was wishy-washy this whole season. Playoffs, he was rock solid for the Red Sox and throwing really hard. There's even talks about moving Nathan Ivaldi into that position. But I think the Red Sox, if he's available and if he really lowers his expectations, they might sign him right before spring training. But I think they're really looking at other options. They're probably also looking in the farm system. Who do we have that can close that's not going to cost us a lot of money? And then if Craig Kimball, he's also had injury issues. And then, you know, what if he just starts struggling? What if that playoff hiccups he had just becomes who he is now? The Red Sox don't have any other way to assess whether or not he's going to be regular season Craig Kimbrell or 2018 playoff Craig Kimbrell. So we'll see. I thought another team would have taken a shot at him, but that shocks me as well. Yeah. They, the Red Sox do have a bunch of good young prospects coming up, okay. um, especially in the pitching category. They yeah. got Darwin's on Hernandez, who's a young lefty signed out of Venezuela. Okay. Uh, he played in the Arizona Fall League this year, so he's got a lot of experience in that. Yeah. And then Brian Mata, who's what I've heard great things about him. 19, also signed out of Venezuela. Oh. Had some back issues, so did pitch as much as he would like to. Okay. Um, Jay Groom, we got he was first-round pick in high school. He was the big, big guy everyone wanted to get in the draft, but uh, unfortunately yeah. had some... I had a disappointing season, and I had Tommy John surgery in 2018, as well as uh, Mike Sharon, who is a fifth-round pick from Maryland, and you know had a mediocre start, but a pretty good fastball, but gets the job done with his uh, slider and cutter. So, no. two guys or a couple guys I would watch out for, and then another guy who I was kind of surprised about. Um, what's going on with Kyler Murray? That. To me, here's the thing. <laughs> Kyler Murray, you either have two options. The pro about becoming a superstar in the NFL is obviously the marketability. Yeah. And we have seen that with Mike Trout. He is a superstar, but if you are not a diehard baseball fan, you have no idea who Mike Trout is. Yep. People everywhere know, well, I shouldn't say everywhere, but mostly people know Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Mike Trout is the Tom Brady of Major League Baseball. He is a superstar, consistently produces, but doesn't win the World Series, you know, championships. But what I'm trying to say is Major League Baseball does a horrible job marketing its players unless your name is Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. Really? I mean, because Kyler Murray, if he has a phenomenal year, he will be known for 10 to 15 years. Major League Baseball, you get drafted, people forget about you for a little while because you're in the minors, and then you come back up. The one pro of Major League Baseball is that you're not going to have CTE when you come out of retirement. That's, I mean, that's huge because you will get, you know, you'll get better money. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed money as well. 
the thing with part. the NFL is you get the money right away. Yeah. There's no minor leagues in football. You're either you're ready or you're not ready. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I think from a business standpoint, he will make more money. And a marketing standpoint, he will be more well-known. So I understand this. But he can't play both. And people are saying he can play both. He can't play both. There's too much time devoted now to studying film and to focusing on your craft. Guys like Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders could get away with that. They could definitely get away with that because I feel like they weren't at premium positions. I mean, Bo Jackson running back, okay, premium position. Deion Sanders, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, safety, right? Safety and then cornerback. Cornerback, yeah. Okay, so... Those running backs more of a premium position than a strong safety cornerback. So they wouldn't have to spend as much time studying their film and practicing. But, you know, quarterback, you got to be on all the time. You got to make sure you're training all year round. You got to be watching film all year round. You got to be doing all this constantly because otherwise then you're not in shape for football season. Oh, 100%. And especially as an important position as a quarterback. But the other thing is what people forget is Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders are freak athletes like their bodies were are just built differently and they are very different than your average even football player baseball player that's why they could do both because their body could take both Bo Jackson's body kind of took a hit at the end too like it takes a lot because you have to think like the traveling there's a lot that goes into that people don't think about Uh, you know their positions don't have to worry about film but Kyler Murray you know he takes a bad slide then he takes a bad hit like in a couple That's days, it. blow your knee out. Yeah, and you're done. His whole career, like in either sport, could be over in a second, um, especially more with football than baseball. I would say more so football. I agree with you on yeah. that because football is so much more physical. The yeah. only physicality you're going to have in baseball really is if you have a collision. Yeah. I mean, that's really it because baseball is not that physical of a sport. Um, the last time I saw so much like brutal physicality was in 2011 when <laughs> Scott Cousins ran into Buster Posey. Yeah. He was catching and he broke his leg. Yeah. So, I mean, really, that's that's it. Unless, of course, you get hit in the head by a fastball, which would be bad. But yeah. um, I this will be an interesting few months because, you know, we have the combine and the draft coming up. Uh, workouts are happening from now up until draft day in April. There will yep. be a lot going on then, pro days. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see. And I think another thing to know about Kyler Murray, he's 5'9". You know, the, the shortest quarterback, really, um, you know, Russell Wilson, Drew yeah. Brees, who is at six feet, and he's really one of the shortest ones. Yeah. So unless he runs around all the time, all the time, and I mean, really, Kyler Murray, probably not going to be picked that high in the first round. No. Everyone thinks, oh, Kyler Murray... You know, because what Cliff Kingsbury said, he'd pick him first overall if he were an NFL coach. Uh, that uh, that's not going to happen. They have Second other needs. They have other think. needs. I think I think he'll still go first round. Okay, it'll be anywhere between fifteen to twenty five, wow. because I don't think people, you know, teams in the first five to ten, if they need a quarterback, they're going to take a guy like Drew Luck or Drew Locke, who is more of a built quarterback. He's proven it's more of a premium position. Yeah. He's impressing everybody at the senior bowl right now. So. I think why he succeeded, why Kyler Murray succeeded, is because in Oklahoma, that's a huge run-and-gun offense. The Big 12 is a huge run-and-gun conference where you could pass for 500 yards and seven touchdowns, and you're considered a stud. Because I think different conferences have different 
offensive layouts because, you know, you never see that in the Big Ten. You yep. never see that in the SEC. I think just the Big 12, the way it's formatted, that's, you know, plausible. But Kyler Murray, I think he's going to have his work cut out for him. I think the athletics are not happy about this. No. And Scott Boris is not happy oh, about no, this. Oh, no, Scott Boris is not happy at all. I, I think it depends. I, I think we could see something like he spends a year in the NFL and goes back to baseball because he's not being used. Because even if a team selects him, and right now the most recent draft board I saw is Patriots. They projected him going to the Patriots. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we could see what Bill Belichick did with him. But I could see it becoming sort of like a Taysom Hill sort of situation, like what they have with um, New Orleans with Drew Brees. Taysom Hill is a backup quarterback, but he does a little bit of everything for that team. And so I think a team would be interested in, like, creating that because Taysom Hill made some huge plays for them um, this season. And they're thinking, okay, a very athletic kid, we could use him in special teams. We could use him in this. We could use him in trick plays, stuff like that. But I don't know if Kyler Murray wants this because, obviously, if he's going to the NFL, he wants money, he wants fame, he wants stardom. He wants to start. He doesn't want to be a Taysom Hill. And Major League Baseball, they were talking about before he announced he was going to NFL draft, they were, like, changing rules to pay him more money. So I think if he goes into Major League Baseball, they'll try to market him. They definitely need to improve that on all their players. The fact that Mike Trout is not everywhere is embarrassing. And he's one of the greatest players of our generation. Our generation, 100%. And even, like... The, I don't know if it's commissioner or someone higher up in Major League Baseball said he's not marketable. Yep, man. No. Said that. Yep. The players, you're not marketing the players. Anyways, um, it's why Major League Baseball is just going downhill because no one knows who they are. And then they get players like Puig who would be so easy to market and they struggle to do that as well. So I think at least they'll be interested in marketing. Scott Boris has done a f- fantastic job of marketing his players. Yep. So, you That's know, why Jacobi, everyone knows Scott Boris. Oh, yeah. That's why Jacoby Ellsbury is getting paid a lot of money to do nothing. So, you know, give credit where credit is due. Scott Boris has done a lot for his players. Um, and a lot of people, I think Kyler Murray also got this idea that people thought Scott Boris was just in his ear. And maybe he wanted to feel independent. Like, no, this is my decision. I'm going to play this. But... We'll see what ends up happening. I, I think he's going to come back to baseball at some point. Uh, what is his position again? Outfielder. Outfielder, okay. Yeah, so obviously in the NFL, he'd be a quarterback. Yep. And according to the CBS Sports mock draft, as of yesterday, okay, it has him going 12th to the Washington Redskins. So Packers currently have the, tr- Packers currently have the 12th spot, so that would be a trade. Okay. Redskins would get that 12th pick. Um, I just think, you know, <laughs> another quarterback higher up, Dwayne Haskins, you know, okay. he, Andy Dalton kind of needs, you know, replacement. But, you know, if you look at the first 10 picks, non-quarterback positions, it's offensive line, defensive line, defensive tackle, uh, yeah. linebacker, and then edge rusher, and then a defensive end. So it's not like, it's not that realistic for a quarterback to go number one. Yeah. According to my memory, Jared Goff was the last quarterback to go number one overall, 2014 to the Rams. I can't think of any other quarterback who went that high 
Baker Mayfield, he went first. Okay, last so year. Baker last yeah. year. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean Kyler Murray, I I don't know if he's making the right call here. Uh, I, I, just, he I, I wish him, because I think there's an opportunity where he could lose both. Yeah. Because like you said, what happens if he slides and a late hit and someone goes right for his knee, torn ACL, obviously you can't play baseball with a torn ACL, nope. especially when you're a center fielder. Yep. You have to run all the time, make sure you cover all that ground. It'll be interesting to see, you know, as I mentioned earlier, combine pro day, yeah. because he'll attend spring training. He'll be in oh, yeah. spring training, yeah. but it'll be interesting to see what he likes more. If he, you know, likes baseball, how will he do baseball? And I think it's really interesting what will happen to his contract now. Because can the Athletics void his contract? Can they get yeah. money back? Can they get anything back? Because the Athletics said when he got drafted last year, okay, he can play one more year of football, and then you're coming to play, you know, in Mesa for spring training, and then we'll assign you from there. Because yeah. um, ideally where Kyler Murray would probably go is something like the Vermont Lake Monsters, which is the short A team for okay. the athletics. Um, he'll probably go somewhere like that. Because obviously, you know, the transition from college to um, professional baseball, it's easier than going high school to professional baseball. I mean, you're facing higher pitch speeds, you know, unless you're in an elite prep school somewhere, you know, and you know, in California or Florida, you're not going to be as well prepared as these college guys yeah. who are facing college pitching and a lot of these big conferences where yeah. 40% of the roster is going to be in professional baseball. So I, I Kyler Murray, I, I hope he finds what he's looking for. But again, like you said, I hope he goes into the NFL having realistic expectations on what yeah. his role is going to be. And not thinking, oh, I'm going to start right away. I'm a 5'9 running quarterback in an offensive-heavy conference. Yep. I'm going to throw 40,000 touchdowns, and I'm going to only throw like 20 interceptions because I'm going to run all the time. Yep. Realistically, Kyler Murray is going to be someone who will be a backup at quarterback, but I also wouldn't be surprised if coaches say, okay, we want you to switch positions. Yeah. We want you to maybe be like a safety or we want you to be a wide receiver. And I think Kyler's going to think, what have I gotten myself into? Because the Athletics would want him as a center fielder. They because, want him to be the face of that franchise. Because there's plenty of 5'9 guys in oh, Major League yeah. Baseball. Jed Lowry, 5'9. Yeah. There's plenty of, oh, okay, well, not plenty. I only named one. But <laughs> there's a lot of. So many. There's a lot of 5'9 guys <laughs> in Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah, and smaller. How, yeah. how tall is Jose L2? Nick Punto. Yeah, yeah, Jose Altuve, 5'7". Yeah. There's just... Dustin Bedroy is probably around 5'9", too, so... Oh, here we go. Baseball's best players under 6 feet. <laughs> um, Yadier Molina, 5'11". Look at that. Bedroya, 5'9". Yeah. Adrian Beltre is 5'11". Wow. Jimmy Rollins, 5'7". Cespedes, wow. 5'10". Brett Gardner, 5'10". Craig Kimbrell, 5'11". Huh, that's shocking. Yeah. So... Yeah. Obviously, he's fine with his height. I think in the NFL, the average, we'll go to our stats department again. NFL height. Hardest working department on the show. Absolutely. Should get a raise. (laughs) Average height looks about 73 inches. So we'll do the math on that. It'd be about 6'1", 6'3". And Kyler Murray, guess what? (laughs) 5'9". So... 
know. I think just I think he'll have to go choose one or the other. Yep. He won't play both. Yeah. And he should know. choose baseball. Yeah, he should. I uh, don't know what he's doing, but I don't know. Said something in his ear, but just yeah. go baseball. Speaking of baseball, been a lot of big uh, trades and free agency signings. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, as of 25 minutes ago, Nick Castellanos, Tigers outfielder, wants a trade, which I would agree with him. I don't know what's really appealing about Detroit and the Tigers yep. organization. I mean, Miggy's getting old. Victor Martinez retired last year. Yep. Um, I mean, there's some young prospects coming up. There's nothing really exciting. I mean, you're kind of locked in that division because you have the Indians. Yep. You have, I mean, the White Sox are going to be good. So not really a chance to compete. Yeah. So, you know, good for him wanting to go compete. And if you remember Nick Castellanos from last year, he did have some hand issues. Um, yeah. I don't know if it was like a fracture or just okay. something where he couldn't didn't work but that was it that was an issue for him and then Sonny Gray got traded which is big so Sonny Gray went from the New York Yankees which I'm sure talking to our fellow Johnny B he was very excited about Sonny Gray getting traded because he was basically just a load on the system yep basically just a load on the system and got traded to the Reds and got traded for the number seven prospect Shed Long who is an outfielder and in that same day, Shed Long got traded from the Reds to the Yankees, and then within a span of hours, got traded from the Yankees to the Mariners for another outfielder prospect, yeah. Josh Stowers. But um, I think this is going to be a good fit, and the Reds, I think, are going to be a good team. Okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if they compete for a division title. Oh, yeah. And now, of course, as I say that, <laughs> Cardinals, Cubs, but yeah. and the Brewers. Oh, forgot about the Brewers, but That's tough I mean – you know, wild card spot, maybe. Because Cardinals are kind of digressing. Yep. Or regressing, I should say. Digressing is not a word. <laughs> the Cubs, kind of some drama going on with the Cubs. Joe Madden, and then you got Chris Bryant, and haven't won a title, and they kind of choked last year yeah. with the uh, the Brewers. You know, the wild card game at home. That, that should have been a win. But yes, sir. Uh, you know, I think it's all something to to think about. And the Reds, let's I'm just gonna name a few. They got Adam Duvall, they got Eugenio yeah. Suarez, Scooter Jeanette, Puig, yeah. Votto, they I think Matt Kemp or did Matt Kemp get uh released? Because I feel like Matt Kemp was part of that deal. I'm not sure. We'll check the well the stats, stats department will be on that on folks. It, yep. Um Homer Bailey got was a huge huge move to get rid of Homer Bailey because he was he threw one no hitter and that was it. And otherwise he had like a six ERA and it was just bad. Um and then Alex Wood, who's a pitcher and lefty and <clears throat> solid solid addition to their staff. Plus they have a lot of good young prospects coming up. Hunter Green, uh they have Nick Sensel shortstop, but he was also rumored in some trade deals. Uh fortunately for the Reds he did not get traded. Looks like the stats department has. Yeah, so this is in from our stats department. Matt Kemp is on the Reds. Uh, he signed through 2019, uh, part of a big eight-year deal, $106 million. So this would be his last year. Um, but he's with the Reds. They have not released him Yeah. Okay. as of today. Okay, as of today. Watch, as soon as our show is done, Matt Kemp will get released, and then we'll have to come back in and do a correction. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's been some big trades. Obviously... We talked about this, and folks, 
if you don't like people repeating themselves, then this is probably isn't the show for you. Um, but it's just astounding to me, Machado, Harper, how they're not signed. Um, Sonny Gray, you know, Sonny Gray changing a new team before Manny Machado would not be something I would envision. Just because it's Manny Machado and he's not a, you know, Manny Machado, obviously, top free agent. And Sonny Gray yep. is not a premium pitcher now. If you were to trade Sonny Gray four years ago when he was still at the Athletics, then huge news. But yeah. it's kind of just like, oh, it's Sonny Gray. Who cares? Um, Nate, anything else you want to touch on or do we want to head into our woes? Let's go into woes. Let's go into woes. Okay. Everybody's favorite segment. <laughs> Whoa. So, Nate, I'm going to start out. All right. First time in 50 years, the Super Bowl in the World Series will feature the same cities. Whoa. And the same hashtag. That's right. Melvin Upton is now BJ Upton again. Whoa. And keep in mind, folks, this is like the third time <laughs> Melvin Upton Melvin Upton has changed. Um, he used to be BJ Upton. Then he changed to Melvin. And then BJ. And then Melvin. And he changed it back to BJ Upton because his wife didn't like calling him Melvin. Right. I don't... I'm not even going to go into that. So... Um, Billy Joel will be the first musician to perform at Camden Yards, home of the Baltimore Orioles. Whoa. Monet Davis will attend Hampton University to play softball. Whoa. Last but not least, Dusty Baker owns a solar energy company. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right. We will head to break, <laughs> scruff up some more content here, and... We'll be right back. Runners in scoring position. And yeah, so this is runners in scoring position. And I'm with Charlie as well. And we just finished our woe segment. We talked a lot about the free agency drama. The one thing I want to talk about before we get into our next segment sure. is, you know, we talked a little bit about how this would never happen in other sports. Why do you think this happens in baseball and not basketball, football, or even hockey? I personally believe, I think it's because... We've seen other examples in baseball on how large contracts have gone astray because there's so much money invested in baseball that you don't see a lot of these large $200, $300 million deals in basketball or football and hockey. It's just really not not prevalent. Yeah. Um, and I think, especially with baseball, there have just been instances where People want to hold off and wait and see if there are cheaper options available. Okay. Yeah. Where oftentimes in basketball, there's such a need because of the smaller roster size, okay. right? Yeah. It's I mean, basketball roster, it carries anywhere from 12 to 15 guys usually, right? Yeah. So that's more of a need. Whereas baseball, you can carry more guys on a 25 or 40 man roster and you have other options in your minor league system where really in basketball, the only option you have is the G League. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of depth there where compared to more, baseball, there's more depth. Yeah. So why it takes longer for free agents to sign because there's not much of a need. I don't know. What, do you, yeah. what would you say? Yeah, I think it's a little bit about that, too. I, I think we might be able to start to see that in basketball because they've really connected with the G League more. It used to be the D League. Sure. Um, and they've kind of – there's a lot of two-way contracts now where players can kind of fluidly come up and down in both leagues, similar to what you'd see in Major League Baseball with the farm system. But, yeah, I, I think you're kind of right with that. The, these teams have 
sometimes three or four full rosters of baseball teams, 25 to 40 guys, depending on the team, that are fully prepared to come up at any moment. So they don't need to sign a guy because they have, you know, RJ Peace down there. They can call him up. If Classic they... RJ Peace. <laughs> RJ Peace is actually a kid I went to high school with. He's in the Marlins system. Anyways, um, you know, you can call RJ Peace up from single A and he can pitch for you. You don't need Craig Kimbrell at the moment because you can develop these players and different stuff like that. So I think that's part of it. I also think it's free agency in basketball is a show. People are yep. excited for it. Like the decision. The decision at midnight. ESPN airs a special. The minute free agency happens, I think this year was like June thirtieth. They MB. They aired uh, the jump with Rachel Nichols on ESPN. Not even like ESPN two. ESPN Same with football and Adam funny. Schefter. As soon yeah. as the clock strikes, boom! Free agency's tweeting. But yeah. but baseball, we just don't see that. Adam Schefter was even on the NBA special. Like they had everyone. Uh, they have Stephen A. Smith with two phones up there. And, like, deals Classic. are being made at midnight. Like, that's the incredible thing is, like, that Paul George, all that stuff, that happened at midnight on June 30th when he announced he was coming back to OKC. Like, it was fun. Major League Baseball, like, once a week, we could do a whole segment on how Major League Baseball fails to market their players and why it's gone to the demise of baseball ticket sales. There's a whole – we could write a 12-page essay on it. But a lot of it is people don't care – where Bryce Harper is signing because it's not fun. It's not fun. They'll they'll see a T-Mobile commercial like oh he's wearing different colors than he did in last year's oh, T-Mobile commercial. Must be the different team. <laughs> so like it, it's that sort of thing. It's not it's not going to break Twitter. It's not going to break. It'll break baseball Twitter, but it's not going to break sports Twitter. And it's not going to break into like where LeBron James signing to Lakers. I saw people. You know I'm from California. People who have never watched basketball in their lives sharing that he went to the Lakers because they're in the Los Angeles area. If he signs with Dodgers, those same people will not share that post because one, they don't know who Bryce Harper is, they don't know the significance, and all that and more. So we can do a whole segment of problems with Major League Baseball. We should, and that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do next week. <laughs> all right, that's what we'll do next week. Um, okay, so yeah, I also think let's see, yeah. I mean, we were talking about your question that you posed, and I just. You don't get fans involved. It's not fun. Like, you know, ESPN doesn't have a free agency baseball show. Yeah. There's nothing nothing like that. And that's a problem Major League Baseball needs to address. Yep. And really, I think, based on this podcast, I think Nate and I could effectively run Major League Baseball. <laughs> but there's just so many issues. I mean, Mike Trout not being marketed, that is a travesty. Yep. Anyway, so we, you know, obviously because we, you know, over-prepare – we found an interesting debate. Six reasons why Ichiro should be the next unanimous Hall of Famer. Now, I don't think there's any question that Ichiro Suzuki has a great shot at being a unanimous Hall of Famer. Yeah. But will he be the next unanimous Hall of Famer? That's the question. Because there's a great crop of potential first ballot unanimous Hall of Famers that will be, you know, in effect. And... Folks, Ichiro is not retired yet. He can still play. So if he retires this year, the earliest he would be elected Hall of Fame would be 2026. That would be the earliest. Now, these are some reasons why people believe that Ichiro could be the next unanimous Hall of Fame. And this is an interesting topic. 
Nate, do you believe that Ichiro Suzuki is the most popular baseball player of all time? No. Okay. I I think in some circles, yes. I, I don't think in the United States. I think probably Japan, overseas, he probably has a much bigger following. I think people love Ichiro, but Ichiro was never the absolute best player on his team, 100%, no doubt, like, across the line. You look at someone like Mike Trout, now, obviously, they haven't played the same amount of careers, and Ichiro did have a whole other career in Japan that most people don't know about, where he's, you know, if you combine his stats... Had probably about 3,500 hits. Yeah. Um, if you combine those stats, he breaks a lot of Major League Baseball Absolutely. records. Um, so there's differences in that, but I think if we were, you know, we could do a video about this if we wanted to, we could go around asking baseball, we could even do this baseball fans or non-baseball fans. We should fans, do this in New York. And ask who Ichiro Suzuki is and, you know, who he played for, what position, what sports does he play? Like most people want to be able to come up with the, his team or stuff like that. So it kind of depends. So let's compare this. We... This is just on-air content time yeah. right now. We go around to people yeah. and we ask them, have you heard of Ichiro Suzuki? Okay, yeah. yes or no? Have you heard of LeBron James? Yes or no? Yeah. Have you heard of Tom Brady? Yes or no? Likely, people will have heard of the latter two rather than Ichiro, who's arguably, one, you know, some argue the most yeah. popular player of our time. Oh, yeah. And you could say LeBron, most popular player of our time. Yeah. Tom Brady, most popular player. Yeah. So... They're at the same equivalency, but again, Major League Baseball, what do they have, Nate? A marketing problem. So that's, I don't know. And yeah. like you said, all-time hit king um, with all the you know, hits he had in Japan, you get about 4,367, um, which is more than Pete Rose had in his career. Yeah. And that's another thing, <laughs> Pete Rose, but I don't know. And I, and I feel like Ichiro did help kind of disseminate baseball into Japan. Because yeah. it was, you know, Japanese baseball before Ichiro was kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. But then now you have all of these, you know, big prospects. Shohei Otani, Yuseki Kikuchi, who just signed with the Mariners. Yep. And really, the Mariners have become a giant place for all of these international, especially these Eastern Asian players, yeah. to come over and sign because they have a familiarity with Ichiro. Yeah. Because... They know, oh, you know, he treated Ichiro so well. Ichiro has been with the Mariners for 15, 20 plus years. So he just he just knows how well the, you know, Mariners organization has treated him and just everything like that. So I yeah. think that's important to note. But I don't, I you know, there's just so much wrong here with Ichiro Suzuki not being well known. And, you know... I don't know. And then other news, completely off-branch from Ichiro. Adam Odovino, yep. famous for his devastating sliders and breaking pitches that yeah. are most famously seen on Pitching Ninja, that great Twitter yeah. account. <laughs> Excuse me. First player in franchise history for the New York Yankees to wear the number zero. Wow. Nate, what do you think about that? That's kind of shocking because you think all the players have gone through the New York organization. Not a single one chose zero. Maybe there was a history of like yeah. players not choosing zero until recently. Especially in like Babe Ruth. Oh yeah. Um because maybe people just didn't use zero. Because double zero was pretty popular for a while. Um so maybe maybe zero wasn't a viable 
a viable option for players until maybe 50, 60 years ago. But it's still pretty intense there. So Yeah, I... Well, I think Odovino is going to do well in New York. I Hopefully he doesn't cave to the pressure. Not not saying that, you know, Colorado isn't, um, isn't pressure-packed. I mean, they've had postseason appearances. But, you know, play, there's just a different atmosphere playing in New York. There's yeah. nothing like it. Um, yeah. Another news. Let's see. D. Gordon. Fun fact about D. Gordon. So we're going to do a little comparison here. Okay. D. Gordon. Yep. Talking about, you know, smaller athletes, a.k.a. Yep. Kyler Murray. Okay, D. Gordon, five foot eleven. Right. You know, that's a pretty yeah. decent height. Yeah. Then there's some guy named Aaron Judge, six <laughs> feet seven. So recently they did a photo shoot for Pepsi. <clears throat> I'm not making this up. D. Gordon had to stand on a milk crate in order to be at the same height of Aaron Judge. Wow. So just put that into perspective. Milk right. crate is probably about eight inches, nine inches, ten, oh, yeah. maybe a feet. Yeah, a foot. depends on the type of milk crate too. You know, got all different kind of skinnier ones. You know, I can't really believe depends. we got nominated for best podcast after this. <laughs> Jeez. This is fantastic content. Uh, this content. Okay, um, another <laughs> off season. We'll do some. We'll we'll do a fun. Let's do a spontaneous fun fact segment. All right. Okay, Mariano Rivera, first major league baseball player to be elected. For unanimous Hall of Famer. Yep. His son is named Mariano Rivera the Third. Okay. Played with the Nationals for a little while. Okay. Then got voluntary retired. Nate, I'm gonna do one more and then you can find a fun fact if okay. you'd like. Yeah. Barry Bonds owns the number one and number three miniature black schnauzers in America. He recently submitted his dogs for dog shows and apparently the dogs that he has are number one and number three for breeding. Oh, wow. Which is fantastic. So, go Barry. Maybe he's buying more dogs to, you know, sully out the depression of not getting elected in the Hall of Fame. Maybe he'll just buy a bunch of black schnauzers. But, you know, good for him, I guess. I don't know. And then, apparently, Gilberto Torres was visiting a zoo and almost got hit in the head by a giraffe. Huh. So, it's, that's not good. That would be bad. What else do we have here? Okay, so I have one for you. Okay, go ahead. Home runs that, were ne- that weren't really home runs in the early days of baseball. Much mm. of the first part of the 20th century was known as the dead ball era. Mm. And it wasn't until the early 1920s that balls started flying out of the stadium at a much more rapid pace. Up until the 1930 season in the American League in 1931, in the National League, they're always a little slow with the rule changes. A player was credited with a home run if a fly ball was hit that bounced in the playing field and then over the outfield fence. Apparently, none of Babe Ruth's home runs were of the bounce variety, but Lou Gehrig was, in fact, credited with a few bounce home runs. Interesting. Yep. That's why they call him the bouncer. <laughs> okay. I thought that was pretty good. Um, it really is a slow baseball yeah, it's music. a slow baseball day, but that's okay, folks. We're still on the grind. Oh, another interesting topic. Nate, where did all the bobs in baseball go? What happened to the Bobs? The only Bob I can name, Bob Melvin, and then Bob Euchre. And then, of course, you have Bob Miller, who pitched in Game 2 of the 1971 World Series, which, I mean, obviously stays in my mind every day. Bob Feller, Bob Lemon, and then Hall of Famer Bob Gibson. should also mention that Bob Feller is also a Hall of Famer. Uh Um, But the number of Bobs... 
there are not a lot of bobs in Major League Baseball. I mean, according to this graph here, the bob, the number of bobs peaked in 1950, and then in 2010, there were less than 10 bobs, hmm. which is also a travesty. Wow. So if my platform, if I become commissioner, and I'd like to use this platform right now to officially announce my candidacy for commissioner for Major League Baseball, I think my platform would be to increase the number of bobs Heck to yeah. market my players, which we haven't <laughs> talked about yet today, but I feel like I need to bring that up. And uh, being able to have players with more diverse personalities. So there you go. Oh, more great content. Okay. Two of baseball's top pitching prospects tried to play chopsticks on the piano together and failed. Oh, that's mm, not good. Wow. Okay. Forrest Whitley, Kyle Muller, both top prospects. Yeah. One for the Braves, one for the Astros. Um, tried to play... Chopsticks on the piano, and this is great radio. So we're gonna I'm gonna watch this video right now on <laughs> mute, of course. Oh yikes! They're playing with fingers. Okay. okay. Might want to clip his fingernails a little bit. It's yeah. a little too long, but it's yeah. all right. I guess this is I'm this getting is it. Content. This is just wow. great. Yeah. Oh, oh, and then they clapped. Okay. Oh. All right. Wow. Good. So there you go. Oh, another fun fact. Bernie Williams. Okay, former Yankees outfielder, yep, yep. a lot of cards, being in the memorabilia community, I okay. don't know, a memorabilia collector, does not like to sign memorabilia of him playing baseball. Huh. He only signs, now get this, memorabilia of him playing guitar. Wow. And the reason why I know this is because last year he appeared at Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, yeah. which is the AAA team for the Yankees, uh -huh. and he had a signing session. He did not sign and was told the public he would not sign any images of him playing baseball, would only sign images of him playing music. Well, I actually kind of knew that, too, because during the summer, uh, during my internship, he was at the Sky Sox. He performed the national anthem there, and he was very like he would not talk baseball. He would only talk about him playing guitar. Which is interesting. Why do you think he's... Why do you think he's done that? I mean, obviously, he. I think he was satisfied with yeah. his Yankees career. Maybe it's, you know, symbolic of him moving on from yeah, his baseball I think career. That's, or... Yeah, that's probably part of it. I think at some point, you're only known for one thing. You might want to be known for something else. Like, he's like, I'm not a bad guitar, but, like, I enjoy it. I want people to know me for that as well. It's also just a weird thing of, like, your relevancy is also based upon your baseball career. So I, I think it's an interesting approach that he took, but you don't blame him. You, I would hate to only be known for one thing. Because it's not like he had a bad career. I mean, he yeah. won four World Series titles. Oh, yeah. Um, it wasn't five, but... Yeah. It actually <laughs> looks like he is, you know, on tour now. Wow. So going through, you know, it looks like Hartford, Connecticut, which is obviously the hotbed of the, hotbed of the East. Yep. So you got to go to Hartford and... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting because, yeah. I mean, there's probably hundreds of Bernie Williams baseball cards. Yeah. And for me, because I'm a set collector, so each year Tops comes out with different sets okay. and we try to get all of them signed. And I'm sure for a lot of them, people would want to get signed Bernie Williams cards and we probably just won't do it. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, let's see. What all right, I have one. All right, go ahead. Uh, Babe Ruth is terrible in a pinch. While New York Yankees legend Babe Ruth was an outstanding hitter with a career batting average of 344, he wasn't so inclined when he was called upon to pinch hit uh, during his career. He was a 167 hitter as a pinch hitter with just 13 hits and 67 at-bats. So you don't want him in crunch time. Now, 
do we raise the debate, should Babe Ruth be in the Hall of Fame? Does he have the clutch gene? Because, you know, players with higher... Because Tommy LaStella, he has a higher pinch hitting. He should be in the Hall of Fame, maybe. I, you know what? Yeah, let's petition. Hashtag remove Babe Ruth from the yeah, Hall of Fame. So that's yeah. going to be our platform. That's actually why we're going to New York. Um, so we lied to you in the beginning. Whatever award thing, yeah. So we're going to Babe Ruth, the... The, the authenticity of Babe Ruth being in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I, I, I pinch hitting. God, I can't imagine what pinch hitting would be like back in the. I don't know. Oh yeah. Really All right, I got another one here. Okay, go ahead. It's a dirty job, but someone has to do it. For every like, MLB bro. game, okay. umpires and clubhouse attendants prepare approximately six dozen baseballs by rubbing them in mud. It's not just any old mud. The mud is produced by an unknown source. <laughs> In New Jersey, designed to take the slick shine off of new baseballs. That's. I don't know if I want to know what that means. Unknown. So maybe that's why I think they we keep just kind of skip that and then yep. we just think, okay, okay, good content. <laughs> why are Wrigley Field's outfield walls covered in ivy? Hmm. Huh. That's a. Whoa. <laughs> now, let's go back. Okay. So the Cubs. During, in 1934, in the winter of 1934, in every major Chicago newspaper, they wanted to increase the authenticity of Wrigley Field as an actual ballpark and not just a park. So the renovation of that started in 1937, mm -hmm. and the Cubs wanted something that would make their ballparks stand out. Okay. So they saw Ivy-covered fields. Bill Veck saw fields in minor league ballparks. Um, there are some other minor league ballparks across the country that have Ivy. And they thought, oh, you know, let's put that in there. So they decided to do that. And now we know the ivy covered walls as Wrigley Field. Wow. Which is interesting. I did not know that. Okay. Other fun facts Jackie Robinson's first major league contract is up for auction with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Nate, do you want to take a guess how much? The contract is up for auction for, and it looks like it's up for auction along with um, a minor league contract that he signed with the Montreal Royals, which is a minor league team. But why don't you just take a guess? $4.65 million. Okay, the items have been appraised at $36 million. Wow. 10% uh, of the final price will be donated to the Jackie Robinson Fund. So my question for you, is there any extra funds for UCCS Radio that we could use to bid on this? <laughs> You know, I, I think, or you know, anything, you know, any I think we have three dollars that we could, you know. Okay, so it'll only be thirty-five million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-seven. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Every penny counts, folks. Yeah. All right. Here's some Sammy Sosa uh, news for you. Uh, fun facts for you guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, during the heyday of Sammy Sosa's career with Chicago Cubs, he became the only player in Major League Baseball hitter to hit sixty home runs in a season on three separate occasions. But he never won the home run title in those years. In 1998 and 99, he lost to Mark McGuire. 2001, he lost to Barry Bonds. He did win the home run title twice with lesser amounts, however. It's kind of funny. He sets records with 60-plus home runs three different times. He doesn't get the home run champ out of it. A fun fact about Sammy Sosa, not really fun. He has <laughs> never publicly admitted to taking steroids. Mark McGuire has. You know, wow. Jose Canseco has. Sammy Sosa will not go on record and admit that he has taken steroids. Huh. I watched a E60 with Jeremy Schapp, 
Yep. And they're close friends. And so we went down to Miami where uh, Sosa spends his time in Miami and Dubai, which is oddly enough. Okay. Um, they actually stopped the interview because Sosa would not go on record using steroids. And Shap questioned him and pressured him about it. Huh. And he said, I'm not. I never took steroids. Well, he the way he phrased it made it sound like he did not take steroids. But he said that he never willingly or knowingly took steroids That's it. <laughs> which my question is how do you willingly and like not knowingly know you took steroids yeah because if you're that conscious about being the peak of your game you know what you're putting in your body so oh, yeah. major league baseball players who are taking steroids time to find a new excuse yeah. but another thing interesting about sammy sosa is that his appearance has changed you know, he's become more um, of a, a white, a white color now. He, you know, born in Latin America. Yeah. You know, and what he said is he's trying to, he used this moisturizer. And he said the moisturizer really affected his skin tone. So his skin tone was becoming more of a pale color, um, which affected his appearance. So, and that was really interesting because if you look at pictures of Sammy Sosa when he was with the Cubs in his heyday versus now, Two different guys. You wouldn't oh, be able yeah. to recognize them unless you're, you know, a great <laughs> baseball fan and something like that. Yeah. So, um, another guy who's questioning their clutch gene, uh, Tom Brady. It's time to question Tom Brady. Is he really the best, you know, quarterback in history? Because okay. I have an inside source that showed me a video of Tom Brady during his high school baseball championship game. Okay. okay. He went hitless. At the plate. Wow. And obviously, he's an okay baseball player. And, <clears throat> but he was actually drafted in the 18th round of the 1995 Major League Baseball draft, yep. the now defunct Montreal Expos, but just couldn't crush that fastball. So, uh, time to officially announce that Tom Brady is not clutch and that. Here he, here he. he. You know, should Bill Belichick should make a quarterback change. But, uh, Nate, do you want to go to break? Or is there anything else you want I, to talk I got about? one more here. All right, let's do it. It's a little fun. Um, triple plays are rare, but this one is even more rare. 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 <laughs> uh, the triple plays indeed a rare feat in baseball. You don't see it all the time. Uh, September 2nd, 2006, the Tampa Bay Braves pulled off a first, even for the rarest of feats, which is pretty cool to have like a rare feat in a rare feat, you know? It's pretty yeah, cool. Okay. Exception of rare feats. Um, on that day, the Rays produced a triple play that consisted of a strikeout, and two base runners caught off base against Seattle Mariners. Runners on first and second. First and third, my bad. You mean Rays. runners in scoring position? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to stop. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rays reliever J.P. Howell struck out Raul Ibanez with Mariners third baseman Adrian Beltre running from first on the play. Rays catcher Daniel Navarro fired the ball to shortstop Ben Zobris, who tagged Beltre out during that throw. Jose Lopez tried to go home from third, but Zobris fired the ball back to Navarro in time to nail Lopez at the plate. The play resulted in a, in completing the first 2-6-2 two, two double triple play in MLB history. Oh, interesting. Okay. The last guy to turn an unassisted triple, triple play, Scott Burnett huh. with the Philadelphia Phillies. Let wow. me just make sure I didn't disrespect Scott Burnett's name. It's, it's like going to come after us after the show. Yeah, he might be a future guest. <laughs> um, anyway, let's go to break. 
Yeah. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. We actually have a fun little meeting after, but um, you're listening to Runners in Scoring Position with Nate and Charlie. When your legs don't work like they used to before. All right, we are back. We're Runners in Scoring Position. I'm Nate with me. It's always it is Charlie. How are you doing? It's good. still doing good. Was that and I, good and I'd like to make a correction. Uh, it's Scott Burnlett, not Scott Burnett. So, Scott, I assume you want to be a future guest. So, I, I apologize for that. And I apologize for all our valued listeners who thought they would get actual productive content that last segment. <laughs> um, may or may not have underprepared, but you know, at, UC, at UCCS, we always, we always strive for the best. Yes, so, yes, we do. that was un UCCS like right there. <laughs> Uh, Nate, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I think we're good. It's definitely going to be ramping up. So if you're fans of this or the podcast, you're finding this on uh, SoundCloud or hopefully soon on Spotify and iTunes. Um, It's ramping up. Baseball season's upon us. Pitchers and catchers report in a couple weeks, I believe. So uh, more baseball news. Hopefully Machado and Harper sign in the next Yeah, we'll have updates from the Twitter account when they do sign. Um, But yeah, all that's exciting. Um, if you guys have any questions, uh, we're R-I-S-P underscore U-C-C-S. Is that correct on Twitter? Sure, it seems right. Um, look. <laughs> it's something like that. Just look yeah. up RISP U-C-C-S. You should find it. Yeah. Um, but we're runners in scoring position. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you for making us one of the best podcasts in the United States for college radio. At R-I-S-P U-C-C-S. So All right. Follow it. Awesome. Well, We will see you guys next week. Remember, Thursdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Mount Standard Time. That's right. See you guys then.